Digital Marketing Radio, episode 223. How to acquire high-quality links in 2017. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous shows at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, hello, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by a man who has over 10 years' experience in competitive SEO and content marketing verticals. He formed his own agency in 2012, and he currently works with companies across Australia, Asia, Europe, and the USA. So, welcome to DMR, James Norquay. Thank you for having me, David. Oh, thank you so much for coming on, James. Um, of course, you can find James over at prosperitymedia.com.au. James, I often ask guests to suggest topics before the show, and you suggested so many great topics. Um, one that stood out for me was how to acquire high-quality looks in 2017. And um, I was intrigued that you didn't use the term building links. So you used acquire links. So um, um, why did you use that uh, terminology? I think the thing is, in 2017, you need to be uh, acquiring more links through... Um different methods. So it could be uh, building a great content asset to acquire links via that. That being said, um, <clears throat> still one of the main ways to acquire links is via outreach. So emails to different individuals that are relevant to secure those link placements. Uh, building links, I mean, everyone will still use that terminology, building links, acquiring links, uh, digital PR, there's a huge name, like different array of names that people will use for link building, but um, yeah, I mean it's it's all the same thing. Okay, it uh, just people will uh, will present it in different fashions. So is link building still absolutely critical to organic success in 2017? I'd say in competitive verticals, having a link profile is still uh, very important. So I'd say it's easily still 40 to 50% of SEO having a, if you're working in verticals like Forex, finance, credit cards, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't have a good link profile that is highly authoritative, you're not going to be able to take on some of the big competitors that are dominating those spaces, whether it be affiliates, comparison sites, or big brands. And highly authoritative, does that mean you have to build links within your, your, your category of business? Or does acquiring links from authoritative websites that aren't necessarily closely related to your niche, um, does that still work as well? I think you want to put a strong emphasis on acquiring links that are relevant. Because uh, relevancy in my eyes is definitely highly important from an SEO point of view and from a link acquisition point of view. If you're building links in a finance niche, you want to acquire links from a finance blog or a finance journal or things like that. You don't want to go and build links for a finance site on a swimming pool website or things like that. So I think relevancy is highly important. Um, that being said, you can still get links from like uh, somewhat relevant sites. So it could be a news website that's mentioned your your finance blog or something like that, or it could be a piece of semi-relevant content in the finance industry. 
So yeah, it's um, relevancy is definitely important with link acquisition. Okay, I'm going to mention the, the the scary phrase buy links. Is, is it wrong to be buying links? Do you need to be doing things to naturally acquire links, or is it very difficult sometimes not to 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 purchase links? Um, so all the work that we do is organic in nature. So everything that we acquire is uh, from an organic nature. We don't buy any links. Uh, that being said, a lot of businesses probably still do buy links out there in the market. So the thing is, you need to be careful because uh, if you're buying a large number of links for your business and um, and Google uh, Google can kind of catch on to that, that some, of, some other people that are buying those links on that website, they can leave footprints and uh, they can be caught out. So... Um, I would be quite uh, cautious to buy a large number of links. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you're buying any links, the, the guideline is from Google to ensure that those links are no-follow. So add a no-follow tag to that. Do you think that it's possible for any SEO value to be driven from no-follow links? Uh, I think it, it could be potentially possible if there's a highly authoritative website that uh, you've got a no-follow link and then... Uh, uh, someone copies that text on that site or a scraper site picks it up and then you have uh, you have that uh, version of that link on their site and it's passing do follow value. Uh, that way a no follow no follow link can be beneficial. Other ways no follow links can be beneficial. They can make your link profile overall look uh, quality. So if you've got a link profile that is 100% followed, that could look uh, not so natural in the eyes of Google. Whereas if you've, uh, if you've got a 30% no-follow ratio and a 70% follow ratio on your profile, that could look uh, quite good. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you, you've got to do things that, that, that would look naturally occurring and, or you know, hopefully be naturally occurring. And if you, if you don't do that, then it sends out that red Warning flag to, to, red to flag. Google. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. And it's it's those those red flags have changed a lot over the years, of course, as well. You know, you, you go back maybe more than five years ago, you used to do things like um, exact match um, keyword anchor text links pointing to, to a website. And um, the percentage of, uh, I guess, keyword phrases that, that you, you can include um, in your backlinks has decreased significantly. Um, is it appropriate to ever go for um, a keyword-rich anchor text if, if you're given the option to do so nowadays? Or would you rather simply just get a branded link to a homepage? Uh, I think the thing is most clients that we deal with, like uh, any type of outreach efforts, they're usually saying they want like, 98, 99% brand focused or brand plus generic. Uh, it's really in like a small percentage that they'd go for an exact match term because the chance of getting a, a manual penalty or anything like that is quite high. And you have to be quite careful. There are still companies out there that uh, haven't really caught up with Penguin in 2012 and uh, they're still doing 100% of their link acquisition from a, from, a, from a generic commercial anchor text point of view. So you've got to be, uh, you've got to be quite uh, cautious of anyone that would recommend a strategy like that because you're, uh, you're just leaving yourself vulnerable to potentially getting a manual penalty 
So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that you have to be quite cautious of. Um, I still think you can acquire exact match terms, but it would be a very small percentage of your overall efforts. You really want to focus on branded acquisition. Yeah, you're just building your own brand on online, and I guess if people search for your brand and they're obviously more likely to click on that result and search results and that higher click-through rate is probably going to, going to help your SEO, I guess, in the future as well. Um, do, do you get involved in other areas of brand marketing as well? I mean, for instance, um, if, if a company starts to build a social presence and um, gets their brand well-known within the industry, do you think that that can have some benefits from an SEO perspective? Oh, definitely. If you've uh, if you've built a strong social following and you're you're generating brand mentions online, it's definitely going to assist with uh, building a stronger brand. Um, even working with PR agencies to uh, ensure that they're driving the correct uh, link placements and they're they're driving um, they're driving uh, branded placements throughout media and things like that, that's all going to help. And I mean, the more people that are searching for your business online, the more, uh, the more click-throughs that you're getting on search results, it's all going to be beneficial for your business. So definitely it, uh, building a strong social channel. If you've, got a, if you've built a huge following on uh, Facebook, Instagram, you can drive traffic to your site. And th- those engagement metrics are also going to be positive for SEO as well. Okay, great. So um, back to trying to acquire links. Do you think that um, link building needs to be done on a consistent basis and you need to try and get a fairly consistent quantity of links pointing to your website, new links pointing to your website um, on a monthly basis? Or is this something that can be done as as a big project, perhaps as a piece of content, and then forgotten about for a few months and you don't have to do it consistently i think that uh if it's in a competitive vertical and your competitors have uh, an internal team of people that are doing link acquisition and uh they've been doing things for many years and they have a quite a strong link profile i think that you probably want to be doing something on an ongoing basis um that being said, you don't just want to do a huge amount of work in one month and then don't do any work for 12 months because that could, like, from a link velocity point of view, there could be a huge jump up in, uh, in, your, uh, in, your, in your acquisition rate and it might not look natural. So, yeah, you really need to... Um, need to uh in my eyes if it's a competitive vertical i would be uh i would be definitely doing something on a month-to-month basis i would be engaging with the pr agency on a month-to-month basis i would be working with your uh your your team to really look out for those opportunities for acquisition on a month-to-month basis um 100 but that being said if you're if you're a small business you might not need to be doing things on a month-to-month basis because your competitors might not. But the more competitive the industry that you're in, I would be probably doing something on a month-to-month basis. Okay, so if you're in quite a competitive industry, then you need to be acquiring links on a regular basis. What about keeping an eye on what your competitors are doing and perhaps even links that um, are disappearing or maybe even negative SEO? Do you, do you need to be keeping an eye on um, 
bad things that could potentially be happening on a regular basis as well? Oh, 100%. You need to be monitoring your link profile on a daily basis, weekly basis. Uh, you need to be uh, monitoring what new links your competitors are getting. You need to be looking where your competitors have been acquiring new links. You need to um, be on the lookout for potential negative SEO attacks. I mean, we've seen negative SEO even in the Australian and US markets. Uh, usually people that do a negative SEO attack, it's not very sophisticated. So I think Google is quite aware of it. Um, but yeah, you really need to be using tools like Arefs or Majestic SEO or even uh, monitorbacklinks.com to monitor your link profile on a daily basis. If you're in a highly competitive vertical where there is a lot of money at stake, I would be, um, I would be monitoring it uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, like a daily basis. If you're in, an, in a small business niche, maybe on a monthly basis, just to see what's happening, to check out new links that are coming in, to see if there's anything uh, that's uh, of a naughty nature that could lead to some potential trouble from Google. So, yeah, you need to be monitoring this stuff because we've seen, we've had people contact our business that have been targeted with negative SEO and they've been hit with a, a manual penalty where a competitor's come in and they've just, uh, they've blasted their site with thousands of um, exact match anchors and they just haven't, they haven't actioned it with a disavow file. They haven't done anything and it's just, their traffic's been been uh, been hit as a result of this negative SEO. So, yeah. But then we've seen other clients that have been hit with negative SEO. But the same, the same, the same people that have actioned that work have gone through and they've hit everyone else in the same vertical. So, like out of the nineteen sites that like were in that on two pages, like nineteen were hit and one was not hit. I think Google's more aware of that stuff in my eyes from what we've seen. Okay, and when you talk about negative SEO not being very sophisticated, do you mean that um, it's simply um, a large number of exact match keyword phrases, keyword phrase links that are uh, suddenly pointing to to your website, or is there anything else that um, that negative SEO involves? Oh, I just think like uh, people are just the way they if they did a negative SEO attack, they'll just like they'll use uh, exact match anchor to the home page and things like that and it's quite easy to kind of pick it up if you are monitoring your um, your link profile on a monthly basis these things are easy to see so yeah if you if you are monitoring your your um, your link profile you can you can pick this stuff up it, and like I mean a lot of people will just jump on Fiverr and search for negative SEO and things like that it's just it's silly like there's people offering these services out there and it's quite damaging. Like when you see someone's invested $30,000 to buy a domain name and they've built a business and then someone can come in and hit it with negative SEO for $5 and do a lot of damage, it's, it's quite, quite distressing for that business owner that this stuff can actually work. And that's why you need to actively build out a disavow file if this, this kind of things happen to your business. Because if you, if you can potentially lead to get a manual penalty... I think you should definitely, um, definitely be uh, building a disavow, hundred percent. Okay, and but but do you think that this is something that um, only people in quite competitive keyword phrases, maybe like uh, like like gambling or FX or something like that, should be concerned about, or is this something that that anyone could potentially suffer from? 
Uh, I mean, like, the thing is, like, uh, so many industries online now are competitive. Like, um, like gambling and, like, FX are definitely up there. But then you've got other things like, um, I mean, online florists, for example. And uh, the, there's, there's no reason why another florist who may not like your business can, can come in and try, try and hit someone with a negative SEO attack. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. And it's not an area that you, uh, you like to see, that's for sure. No, absolutely. I mean, you would like to think that most of the time Google would recognize exactly what's happening and, and ensure that um, no rankings change as a result of that. But um, it certainly must be tough for them as well to try and ensure that they, they catch everyone correctly and, 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 and react accordingly. Exactly. Okay, well, I'm just fin- finishing up with um, um, one more link building question. And um, I'm quite interested on your perspectives uh, between the different markets. So obviously, you're based in Australia, but you, you've got clients in different countries as well. Um, do you see different things working in different countries? Uh, I mean, are you seeing certain link acquisition activities that, that work well, for instance, in Australia, but don't work as well, maybe in Asia or in, in, in the United States? Yeah, so I think the thing is uh, the difference between different markets. In the US, things are definitely a lot more competitive. Clients are definitely a lot more sophisticated in what their requirements are. Um, I think in in the question, there's anything different between the two markets? Um, I mean, not really. Like the thing is, like uh, the the difference is, I think from a from a TLD acquisition point of view. So a lot more people in Australia will be uh, they'll want. If you if you're getting placements on different sites, they'll want uh, .com.au, .org.au, etc., etc. They'll want a percentage of those. Uh, the issue is that usually a lot of those sites can be harder to get onto. So I think the thing is, if you're going for like thirty percent localized TLDs or forty percent, that's usually quite good. And then you can go for sixty percent global. Um, I think the, the difference is between Australia. And different markets like the UK and the US, I think they're just clients are more sophisticated over there. Um, what the requirements will be will be more sophisticated. What kind of metrics they're going after will probably be more sophisticated. I mean, they've probably been doing SEO for a lot longer. They've probably been doing some type of SEO for 10 years. I mean, we, we've worked with clients that have engaged in SEO for like 10 years and they've seen it all. So they'll, they'll know exactly what they're after. Even in Australia, like we've dealt with like law firms that have been doing SEOs since like 2007. And it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that every business will need out there. I mean, from, uh, from a bar to a, a large insurance company, everyone needs some SEO and that's, that's the thing. And yeah, I, I guess um, the big difference is how many competitors that you have within your direct marketplace. And, you know, if, if you've got um, a, a thousand local businesses all doing the same thing, then it's going to be more challenging to to, to rank for related terms to your business than, than you know, if you've, you've only got 10 competitors and you could all theoretically get on, on Google's first page of the SERP then. Definitely. That's the thing. The, the less... The less the competition, the easier it's going to be. The more competitive it is, the more troublesome it will be. 
Well, um, in a moment, I'm going to be moving to the, the second part of our discussion, so that's what I'll be asking James about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, dear viewer, dear listener, have you copied? Have you copied? Have you purchased your copy of Digital Marketing Radio in 2017, the book yet? Um, so that's a book that I uh, published just a few months ago, uh, interviewing 107 digital marketers, all, all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year and written, of course, by me. So you can check out the reviews and grab your copy over at Digital Marketing marketing in 2017.com. But let us segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on James's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with software, I couldn't live without. So James, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Uh, I think uh, four tools that we definitely use on a daily basis here. I mean, things like uh, SEM Rush for keyword analysis and from organic and paid, it's a, it's a must-use tool. Uh, Screaming Frog for um, site audits. If you want to like scrape 30,000 pages of a site, Screaming Frog is uh, it's just one of those must-use tools. And if you had to do it by hand or you had to build your own scripting, it would, it would just take so long. So that's a must-use tool. Arefs.com for... Um, for uh, link analysis, link audits, it's just a great tool. Even monitoring link profile activity on a daily basis, you can do it on AREFs. I think the the database of links they have is quite good. Uh, another interesting tool that not many people are using, but something that we definitely like using, is called Tenon.io. It's uh, it's for um, accessibility testing. So if you're um, if you have uh, visually impaired web users, you can you can scrape a site on on Tenon.io, and it will show you how accessible that website is. It's a tool that we've been using for the last twelve months. Any uh, any new prospect that comes in, uh, it's a good little tool to check accessibility. And um, I think website accessibility is a big area. There's been a few court cases in the U.S. where sites haven't been accessible, and um, yeah, it's something that you need to think about. I mean, it's a bit of a convergence between SEO and UX, but uh, it's something that we're definitely interested in here. Great. Okay, I haven't heard of that particular tool. I mean, I um, of, of course, I've heard of all the other ones. They're, they're, they're great um, standard SEO tools um, to, to, to use. But um, what's the spelling of that other one that you, uh, you recommended? It's uh, T-E-N-O-N dot I-O. Rowan. Okay, I would have been searching searching for a while to possibly find that, but um, I see that in front of me there as <laughs> yeah, well. So interesting. Great. Okay, I'll include um, a link to that in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com as well. Um, but I'll ask you one more challenging question in relation to software, and that is, what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Probably from like a PR monitoring point of view, I th- think tools like, I think it's called Meltweather, a lot of uh, speakers at uh, MozCon were talking up the PR monitoring tools. There's some some really expensive digital PR tools out there on the market. I mean, we probably might like testing some of those, but at the moment, I mean, there's a lot of other tools that we're using that kind of fill in the gaps for those. But um, yeah, there's there's so many tools in the PR space that are of interest. So yeah, that's probably something that we'd like to try. Great. Okay, it's interesting that you mentioned that as well because um, SEO and PR, I think, are becoming more closely um, interwoven um, at the moment. And obviously, if if you can't get good press coverage, then you're unlikely to get more 
decent blogger coverage as well. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Definitely. I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back at the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. So what didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Uh, probably uh, like just doing silly things when you first start out in online marketing. Like uh, you don't know what you're doing, so you'll go and you'll go and buy a thousand directory submissions from from someone on a forum, and you don't realize the damage that silly things like that can do. I mean, this is like 11 years ago. And I mean, some of those things worked 11 years ago. <laughs> We're like, yes, I'm ranking from this idiotic strategy. But um, yeah, I think do things ethically. This is what you wish that you wouldn't have done then. Yeah, I wish we n- I never did things okay. like that back then. Because you just like, when you're first starting out, you don't really know the correct things to do. Yeah. And I mean, everyone makes that mistake when they first start out. They'll jump onto a forum or a blog, and then they'll they'll sometimes pick up the wrong information. So yeah, you really need to read reputable sources and listen to reputable sources like Digital Marketing Radio, where they'll they'll have the right people giving the information because you don't want to listen to the wrong information because there's so many people out there giving the wrong information. Absolutely, the checks in the post for that mention there. Uh... Um, but <laughs> imagine if you could you know, go back, certainly you know, ten or fifteen years ago, knowing what you know now and implementing that, it would just be so easy just to <laughs> clear up financially, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, like, if if I knew what I knew now, fifteen years ago, there's there's so many things that you'd you'd jump on, like you'd probably buy like some domains and like you'd, you'd set up things in a certain way because you'd, you'd know how things work. And I think 15 years ago with online marketing, that just wasn't as competitive as it is now. So the level of competitiveness is just on a whole nother level. Whereas 15 years ago, yeah, it was just, it just wasn't as many people doing this stuff. Great. Okay, well, let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. So 10 quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. Are you ready to go? (laughs) Yeah. Twitter or Snapchat? Probably Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Both. (laughs) (laughs) Website or app? Uh, (laughs) Website. (laughs) Paid search or SEO? SEO. (laughs) Outreach or advertise? Outreach. Email to one or email to many? Email to many. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Great. Okay, well, I th- you used your both quite early there, and I was concerned that you wouldn't get to the end without requiring another one, but you, you made it okay <laughs> there as well. Um, so you still think it's both mobile and desktop. It hasn't moved on to mobile was just the single thing to focus on yet. Uh, I'd still say like... 60 percent 50 50 it's still it's still quite even in like some verticals i mean other verticals it could be a bit more of a sway towards mobile but i still think you definitely need to be active on um both channels 
because I mean, so many people are at offices using desktops. So many people use desktops at home, still laptops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But mobile is definitely highly important. So mm. yeah. Do you think the average person is still going to have a desktop computer at home in say five years time? Um, I think they probably have a laptop still. Mm. I mean, I still prefer using laptops, and a lot of people I think probably still will in five years, definitely. But I think mobile is definitely on the come up. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see what's happening between mobile and desktop, and it certainly depend. It, it depends on the industry that you're operating in. I was um, working for a B two B software company, and they had ninety percent of their users on desktop, and that was obviously because people were in work and looking at the software then. But certainly, many local businesses, you're going to have seventy, eighty percent of people on mobile. So it's it's you really need to look into your analytics i guess oh 100 percent. you need to be monitoring your analytics daily just to check out what the trends are to see where your visitors are and if you if there is 50 50 on mobile and you don't have a mobile ready site or you're an e-commerce site and people aren't converting on mobile carts because your site isn't optimized for mobile or there's something something silly like that happening it's it's something that you really need to be across and you need to be monitoring. The $10,000 question. Next up, if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Um, that's a tricky one. Like um, $10,000 would probably diversify it. Like uh, uh, 50% would go towards uh, content marketing. So we'd build out content assets, more Q&A content on our website things like that. So 50% towards copywriting. We'd probably spend the other uh, 2.5K on um, like potentially Google AdWords and then we'd spend another 2.5K on other advertising forms like like LinkedIn potentially or even we'd test out some business influences on Instagram as a test, something like that just to see. So we'd definitely diversify the uh, income. How would we track it all? Everything, we'd use unique tracking URLs to see what's driving the best uh, conversions. But um, marketing an agency is definitely tricky. I think you need to market your, yourself with content. You need to push out uh, ethical image. You need to get a lot of referrals and things like that through word of mouth. But um, yeah, advertising is definitely a tricky one for agency marketing. I find it interesting that you mentioned LinkedIn as well because it's not something that I've used a great deal from an advertising perspective anyway. Um, is, is that something you've, you've tested a bit um, from a p paid marketing perspective? Oh, we tested little bits and pieces on it. I mean, the thing about LinkedIn, it's a very high CPC. So you can do things like you can have a, a, a B2B guide or something like that. But the, the CPCs are crazy compared to Facebook or... or um, AdWords even. But uh, the thing is you can really get refined so you can really target people by um, by a specific job title and things like that on LinkedIn. Just you bear in mind the cost on LinkedIn. There's even other things you can do like boosted posts similar to Facebook on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I mean LinkedIn is still one of our favorite tools 100%. For, for acquisition of customers and just cold outreach, getting meetings, just, yeah, it's, it's, it's still an unstoppable tool and it's underutilized. Even 
video on LinkedIn now in, in a native format. You can upload videos straight to LinkedIn. And even we've been testing that out over the last few weeks and we're getting like a thousand, two thousand views on some videos, just random videos about what's happening in the office or tips and trends and things like that. It's things that you've got to be across as a business owner. No, LinkedIn is something that obviously everyone or 90 odd percent of people who are in business are on. And I've been a little disappointed that they haven't embraced live video for their for, for, for the average user yet. And yeah. I, I do expect it to come. And I think when it comes, I can see, you know, LinkedIn being a, a massive, massively popular social network and perhaps even a real challenger to, to Facebook in the, in the business environment. 100%. I think, uh, I think it will come. I think they're just testing native visit video at the moment to see how it goes and to see what the uptake is before they roll out other forms of video content on there. But I think it will come. They've got the market size. They've, they've got the early adopters already all over it. So I think it's, um, it's, we'll probably see more in the near future. My number one takeaway. Oh, James, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener just needs to take away and implement in their business? Uh, I mean, there's so many tips. I think the thing is uh, you just want to focus on doing quality work because it's like we say to clients, we do quality work and we do the type of work that's going to be here and it's still going to be allowed in five, ten years. And, I mean, any type of work that you do, you want to think about how long is this strategy going to last and that's why you have to do high-quality strategies that are going to last a long time because, um, yeah, that, that's just the way things haven't really changed too much over the years. But the thing is, ethical work is still it still stayed the same. So, yeah, that's probably my number one takeaway is just do things the right way. Don't cut corners. Don't do strategies that people say, oh, this is going to get you ranking in 10 days. But in, you really need to ask, how are you going to do that? Because if they're not telling you how they're going to do it, then they're probably doing something that's not allowed and it's going to end up in a manual penalty. Great advice. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do? Um, add me on LinkedIn. Search for James Norquay. I'm on uh, Twitter at Connections8. Uh, or just uh, check out prosperitymedia.com.au where... Happy to chat to anyone or ask any questions or answer anything. Superb stuff. And yeah, keep the conversation going. Well, yeah, thanks again. So um, thank you to James and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what James shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is, of course, facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me at David Bain. Plus, remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that uh, at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes on iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android on Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks again, James. Great show. Thanks, David.